Let's open your Bible, please, to Psalm 33. And we just take it chapter by chapter and verse by verse in our studies, and I'd like to cover, if I may, if I'm able to, uh, the 33rd and 34th Psalm. In Psalm 33, verse 1, it says, Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. We find that praise is fitting for God's people. It's comely for the upright. God's people are to be upright, and they're to be righteous by the Lord's help. It says, Rejoice in the Lord. To rejoice in temporal things, temporal comforts, dangerous, because they are temporal. To rejoice in self is foolish. To rejoice in sin is very fatal. But to rejoice in God is heavenly. And it says, Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Then in verse 2 it says, Praise the Lord with harp, sing unto him with psaltery, and an instrument of ten strings. Now in the Old Testament, Israel was accustomed to using many musical instruments and even the same uh, stringed instruments. In the New Testament, Paul mentions pipe and harp. We're not told specifically in the New Testament what instruments are to be used. There's nothing said against it. We have people that claim that you're not supposed to use a piano in the church. Someone was asked one time, it says, uh, where's the scripture for you Baptists to use the piano in the church? Someone said, well, it's right next to that one that says you can use the blackboard. Pretty close together, aren't they? So anyway, we're not going to argue about instruments and things of that nature. The Bible teaches we're to worship the Lord in psalm and hymns and spiritual songs in the New Testament, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. In verse 3 it says, Sing unto him a new song, play skillfully with a loud noise. New experiences usually produce new songs. Remember in Revelation chapter 5 it says, And they sung a new song in glory. Revelation 5, I believe it's verse 9. And it was a song of redemption, the glorified in heaven with the Lord. And it says, Play skillfully with a loud noise. I'm sure that does not mean a deafening noise, but it means that we're not to be uh, sluggish and backward and not afraid to speak out or sing out. Play skillfully with a loud noise. In verse 4 it says, For the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. We're to praise God and rejoice in God for all of these things. His, his word, the word of the Lord is right. There'll never be a time it is not found to be right. God's Word is always true. God's Word will stand forever. God's Word is true from the beginning. And the Bible says it's purified even seven times. And the Bible tells us that the Word of God is pure, and He is a shield to them that put their trust in Him. And the Bible says, Add not to His words, lest uh, He reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. And that's where people get off, is when they add to God's Word. That was the first sin of Eve, wasn't it? She said, the Lord has said this, and she added some more too. And then a few other things that transpired then. So people have a, a habit of saying, well, God said this, but. Where'd you get that? He said this, period. Or he said this, if you will do so and so. It's kind of like when you start preaching on security of the believer and say, uh, yes, you're saved by faith. The Lord says, uh, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and I give them to them eternal life. And they shall follow, uh, they follow me, and I give them to them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Someone says, yes, you shall never perish if. You shall never perish but. You shall never perish, and they start making all these conditions. The Lord didn't make those conditions. You added that to that. That's how you got that. 
That's how you got to doubt all of the veracity of his word. So don't do that. Take him for his word. By the way, that's your best assurance is to take God for it as his word. And it says, all his works are done in truth. He does a lot of works, but they're all done in truth. He doesn't do works in, in falsehood. In verse uh, 5, it says, he loveth righteousness and judgment. Remember, it says of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, he loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. You read Hebrews chapter 1, beginning, I believe, with verse 7. It says, Unto the Son he saith thy throne, O God, and maybe verse 8. Unto the Son he saith thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness, is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness. This is verse 9. And hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. That means the anointing of the Holy Spirit above other people, above mankind, any men. It says, And now, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens of the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. And they all shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. But notice, he loved righteousness. He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. When we think of our problems and our trials day by day, let us not focus on the things that we have to deal with that are negative, but focus on the fact that God delivers us out of our troubles and our problems and our trials. I'm always amazed at how, like Sunday morning, when Randy's voice was bad and he couldn't, uh, he had problems, and I also had, and I didn't mention them, but anyway, we had problems with our voices and speaking, and the Lord always sees us through. In spite of those things, He enables us to go on. And I'm reminded of His goodness. It's full of the goodness. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. And that good word goodness, if you have a marginal reference, says mercy. I want you to notice it says in verse 6, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of His mouth. And on down through verse uh, 9, it speaks of His work of creation. First of all, notice in verse it, it, uh, verse 4, it said, uh, the word of the Lord is right. And then it says, all his works are done in truth. And now, now we're talking about his work of creation. And it says, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. God's voice, God's breath, God's word. And things were created. Hebrews 11, verse 3 says, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are made were not made of things which do appear. But God created the worlds out of nothing. And by the way, Hebrews 11.3 helps us to understand the creation. And now we have all the scientists and all the theories of evolution and all the theories of creation going out. And the scientists are saying, well, when we go to the moon or one of the planets and we bring some back some rocks and we go to other planets and we bring back something from there, then we'll better understand. And the pictures they're taking now, we'll understand how this creation happens. The Bible says, by faith we understand. That's the best understanding men will ever have of creation. You say, well, they have rocks that are millions of years old, and they have the fossils, and they have all these creatures that are non-existent today, and that tells us something about it. Listen, nothing tells you any more about it than God's Word, and God's Word says you have to accept it by faith. I don't think that they can still, they can figure it out with all the scientific evidence and all the uh, 
geological discoveries and everything. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathereth the waters of the sea together as an heap. He layeth up the depth in, in storehouses. The oceans are where they are because God has put them there. God has placed a boundary on the shores of the land of the, the land that appears. You see, if it were not for God's control, all of these, the earth could be covered with water. They're saying now that up in the northern part, in the uh, where you have all the ice that's melting in the north, that uh, it's going down each year, year by year, and that it could disturb our uh, conveyor belt of the wind, the circulation of the waters that you find in the in our earth's surface. He says, by him all things consist. They, they're held together. And I know that things change, and it's, a lot of it's due to what uh, man has done upon this earth that causes changes that uh, we have disturbed some things that maybe we should not have. But we know that God's still going to control it and does control it. He gathereth the waters of the sea together as a heap. He layeth up the depth in storehouses. Look at verse 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. That means to reverence Him. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. And His might and His power and His knowledge. In verse 9. For He spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. God just speaks and it happens. When he commands, it stands. You know, man's word is wishy-washy, isn't it? Things change. Sometimes we say, well, I didn't mean that. God says what he means, and he means what he says, and what he says it does. Happens. And he'll stand behind it. Let me read a verse of Scripture in Numbers uh, 23, verse 19. says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. For uh, hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall it not, he not make it good? So God says, and he does. Now then, we find in verse 10. Look at verse 10 in our psalm. Psalm 33, verse 10. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. He overrules the plans of the wicked. You know, the wicked plans to destroy the righteous. The wicked plan makes his plans of destruction. And God overrules the plans of the wicked. Counsel of the Lord shall stand. See, he knows how to control everything. Let me give you uh, the book of Daniel chapter 4 and verse 35. It shows his great power, his sovereignty. It says in four, verse 35, And all the inhabitants... Of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, in heaven and earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? See, he makes the counsel of the Lord standeth forever. In verse 10, he says, The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. In Daniel chapter 2 and verse 21, it says, He changes the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. God has the power to remove kings. He has power to set up kings. Sometimes He permits wicked kings to be set up for His own purpose. He said to Pharaoh, as he ruled uh, wickedly and oppressively over the children of Israel, He said, I've raised you up that I might show in you my power. 
that he might bring them down and show them that God was God. You remember Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that we should serve him, that I should serve him? God says, okay, Pharaoh, if that's the way you want it, you keep hard in your heart. And we'll just let Moses bring a few plagues and judgments and find you'll find out who is the Lord. It won't take long, will it? Finally, he said, remove this plague. Call Moses. He says, Moses, you come on over here. Remember that he sent a plague. There are various others. But this one in particular attracts my attention. When he sent frogs all over their, in their houses, in their bed chambers, in their ovens, in their kneading troughs. And old uh, Pharaoh, he says, uh, Moses, come on over here. I want to, you to pray to God to get rid of these frogs. And Moses says, when do you want me to remove these frogs? He says, tomorrow. Brother, I wouldn't have said tomorrow, would you? I'd have said right now, immediately, if not sooner. Get rid of those rascals. Tomorrow, I have a sermon on one more night with the frogs. That's the way sinners are. They just say, preacher, don't bother me with this salvation, with repentance and faith now. Just give me one more fling of sin. Just let me enjoy this a little bit more. Though it's not enjoyable, it's terrible, it's torment, but I still can't turn loose of it yet. You ever found people like that? You tell them exactly what to do and they say, no, I just want to remain where I am a while. Preacher, don't bother me now. I'm enjoying my drink. I'm enjoying my drugs. I'm enjoying my sinful pleasures. I know if I go to church, you know, I'll get closer to God. Someone says, what accounts for a lot of the empty pews? The fact that a lot of people want to hang on to the world as well as and try to hold on to Him with one hand just kind of tempt the Lord to get a hold of Him with the other. That doesn't work. Remember we preached Sunday on, uh, Paul said that uh, he gloried in the cross. And he says, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Its pleasures, its sins, its attractions, its uh, uh, successes, it all was crucified to Paul when he gloried in the cross. All right, let's go on with this. In verse 10, uh, verse 11, it says, uh, the counsel of the Lord standeth forever. God's counsel, God's purpose God's plan, His purpose will stand. And He says, the thoughts of His heart to all generations. Remember, Jesus told Peter, He said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He says, it'll stand. Oh, the devil will try to destroy. He'll try to destroy Christians. He will try to destroy preachers. He will try to destroy the local church. He will make his attempt to destroy everything he can. The thief cometh not but for to kill and to to steal and to kill and to destroy, Jesus said. But he says, I'm come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The devil is the destroyer and the Lord is the restorer and giver of life. It says in verse 12, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Israel, when they had God as their Lord, they were a blessed nation. Our nation is a blessed nation. And if it were not for the Christians today in it, we'd be in terrible trouble. And that's the only thing that that hinders is Christian people and God's purpose and plan and the message of God and the Word of God that does reach a few. Okay, let's look at this. In verse um, 12, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom He hath chosen for His own inheritance. The Lord looketh from heaven. He's up there. He looketh from heaven. He looks down. 
He beholdeth all the sons of men. Don't think there's any place that the sons of men can hide themselves. The Bible says the, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. The eyes of the Lord are upon the ways of man. He seeth all his goings. There is no darkness, no shadow of death, where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. You can't hide from God. The Lord looketh down. He looks from the heavens. He beholdeth all the sons of men. From the place of his habitation, he looketh upon all the inhabitants of the earth. He looks upon all the inhabitants of the earth. His habitation is in the heavens. He fashioneth their hearts alike. He considereth all their works. He's the governor of all men. He's a ruler of all men. He's the sovereign of all men. In verse 16, There is no king saved by the multitude of an host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. He, show, he shows his power, even over kings. Look at that. Military power will not save. There is no king saved by the multitude of an host. We have the evidence of that. Remember old Elisha? The Syrian army was round about, and, the, and Elisha's uh, servant, he looked out and he says, Oh, my Lord, look out there. And he's speaking to Elisha. He says, Look out there, there's a... Host, have you seen that army of the Syrians round about us? A great host. And Elisha said, They that be with us are more than they that be with them. Well, the servant couldn't see anyone. And Elisha says, Lord, open this young man's eyes that he may see. And he saw, and the Bible says in the book of Second Kings, let me read it for you, chapter 5 and verse uh 17, Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. God's heavenly army was round about him, and he couldn't see anything. Sometimes you and I cannot see the army of God that's around us. See, the angels are encamped. The next chapter, verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamped round about them that fear him. That's in... Psalm 34, and delivereth them. See that? Psalm 34, verse 7. So, verse 16 of the 33rd. There is no king saved by the multitude of an host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. There's a scripture that says, The race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, but time and chance happeneth to them all. I think Paul and I were talking about that one day. Have you ever beheld? The Bible says... The race is not to the swift. You'd think the swift would win the race, wouldn't you? And the battle is not to the strong. But time and chance happeneth to them all. In the providence of God, the man that's the fastest can sometimes be the loser. The man that's the strongest can sometimes be the loser. He cannot win the battle. Don't ever depend on your own strength or your own military power. And he says in verse 16, verse 17, <clears throat> And horse is a vain thing for safety, neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. Remember, some, the Bible says some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we trust in the Lord our God. It says in verse 18, Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him. Those that reverence God, those that fear God, his eyes upon them. He delivers them. It says upon them, them that hope in his mercy. To deliver their soul from death. To keep them alive. Notice the words, to keep deliver and to keep them alive in famine. Verse 20 says, Our soul waiteth for the Lord. 
He is our help and our shield. You know, these words are important. Look at verse uh, uh, 20 again. Wait, help, shield. Those that wait on the Lord, He's their help. He helps us in all of our... And He's our protector, our shield. Verse 21. For our heart shall rejoice in Him because we have trusted in His holy name. We're going to rejoice because of our trust, our faith in Him. Verse 22. Let Thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us according as we hope in Thee. Remember, we're in the New Testament... Hebrews 4, verse 16, We're to come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We get to the 34th Psalm, and this 34th is the second of the alphabetic Psalms. Psalm 25 was an alphabetic Psalm. That was the first one. And that means it's in accordance with the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. If you'll notice, there are 22 verses. You see? In this 34th Psalm. There were 22 in the 33rd, but it was not necessarily an alphabetical psalm. But this 34th is an alphabetical psalm. 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Remember I pointed out one time the book of Jer- I mean, the book of uh, Lamentations is written in a series of 22 verses, 22 verses. The third chapter is 66 verses, three times 22 and then the fourth chapter is 22 verses, and the fifth chapter is 22 verses. According to the alphabetic prose, or lamentations in that case. Okay, here, let's look at this one. Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Look at this. I will bless the Lord. The psalmist is resolved to bless the Lord. He is determined to bless the Lord. His heart is fixed. Regardless of what others may do, he says, I will bless the Lord. And he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. Look at that all times. Sometimes we find it hard to bless the Lord when there's trials, when there's sickness, when there's problems. But he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. You know why we should bless the Lord at all times? even in the midst of trials or problems or troubles or sickness, because it could be far worse than it is were it not for God's mercy. That's why. It's hard to bless the Lord with affliction, but we should bless the Lord with affliction. The psalmist said in 119, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I have kept thy law, thy word. He said, It is good for me that I have been afflicted. How many people can say, It is good for me that I have been afflicted? We can't do it unless we look at God's Word and see that it works a purpose in our lives. It brings us to a place of more uh, sympathy and love and grace and and, uh, mercy. It does something for us. Moses chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Notice verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. We try to just dissect and analyze these verses and get the most out of each one. Look at Verse 1 again, I will bless the Lord. His determination is resolved. And he says at all times, that means, con- that means under all trials, under all circumstances, in every situation, he says, I will bless the Lord. And then he says, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. A continuous praise. Verse 2 says, my soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble uh, shall hear thereof and be glad. Nothing of our own to boast in. He says, my soul shall make her boast in the Lord. We're all time, you know, a lot of times we're boasting in ourselves. 
We have nothing to boast in but in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. When we boast in the Lord, it brings gladness. Verse 3 says, O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Praise is to be united. We're all to be praising God. We're all to be blessing God. Worship is to be united. Prayer is to be united. We unite in prayer. We unite in worship. We unite in praise. Every day we should be blessing God, praising God, and thanking God. That doesn't mean that you have to go around and every time someone hears three words come out of your mouth, it's praise the Lord. That's not what it's talking about. It doesn't mean that every time you pray, you have to kneel down and be on your knees and pray to God. Because Paul said, pray without ceasing, didn't he? And didn't he say, rejoice uh, evermore? Well, you know, it'd be hard to just be confined to three words. And it would be hard to be confined 24 hours a day to your knees in prayer, wouldn't it? But you can have the spirit of blessing and spirit of praise and spirit of thanksgiving, as well as the spirit of prayer upon your lips at all times. I thank God every day for everything. It doesn't make any difference what comes. I'm thankful. I'm just grateful. There are a lot of things I don't like to endure. Preachers have problems the same as anyone else. You know, our sink clogs up, water lines break, doesn't it, Randy? <laughs> Car goes bad, have to have a new battery once in a while, tire goes flat, all kinds of things happen. Preachers are not immune to these. None of us are. And because you're a child of God, it doesn't mean you're immune to all these problems and trials, but it means you can bless the Lord. I remember one time, right after my wife and I married, I had a flat tire on an old 37 Chevrolet, listen carefully, in the middle of Lubbock and no jack. Now, you figure that one out. And my wife just disturbed all the pieces. We hadn't been married very long. I went over the side of the road there. It was kind of, it wasn't right in the middle of town. It was out, you know, where, uh, I believe, pretty close to the uh, college. And in those days, in the old days, it was uh, a lot of fields and stuff around. I got a big old rock, and I put it in front of that flat tire and I run the car up on that flat tire and that raised it up. Then I got out and I got some more rocks and put under the axle and then I spun the wheel a little bit and kind of jerked it off where the rock underneath I could get it out and I unbolted that uh, tire and I went over to a filling station and had that old tube, it was old tube tires then, had it patched. I came back on, bolted that thing on. And, of course, then it was just down close to the ground. And then I started up and run off those rocks, and I threw them back to the side of the road, and we took off. See? Don't worry about so many things. And I, I didn't, it didn't disturb me. Of course, now I get disturbed about a lot of things. I worry with other people. I worry with other folks that worry. And... Uh, tells us to rejoice with those that rejoice, and it tells us to weep with those that weep. But I never have found where it says worry with those that worry. Have you? But sometimes we do. Let's go on with this. It says, O magnify the Lord with me. Uh, That's verse 3. And let us exalt his name together. In verse 4 it says, I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. We may seek the Lord in times of trouble and problems. And all the things that we fear are sometimes greatly exaggerated 
Remember one that said, there's nothing to fear but fear itself? And one that said better than that, Jesus said, fear thou not. Right? I like that one best, don't you? In verse uh, 5, they looked, uh, they looked unto him and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. The lives of all the faithful that look to God will be lifted up. Their counsel, their, their countenance, I should say, will be lifted up. Verse 6 says, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. His prayer was heard. And his, his prayer was a cry. It says, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. We need to have our prayer sometimes to be more than a prayer. It needs to be a cry out to God for help. It needs to come from deep within and say, God, I really need your help. I'm not kidding about this situation. I really need your help. And it's a deep-hearted, heartfelt cry. Okay, verse um, 7. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him. Him and delivereth them. We're kept on every side. Encampeth round about. Look at that. Find all these great jewels in the Word of God. These jewels of truth. And the only way you can do that, do that is to look at your Bible and see these promises. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear Him. And what? And delivereth them. Verse 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is that man that trusteth in Him. Faith, or trust, is the soul's taste. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is that man that trusteth in Him. When you trust in Him, you can taste the goodness. Verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, ye His saints, for there is no want to them that fear Him. We need to praise Him for His provision. Look at that. There is no want. Remember what the 23rd Psalm says? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There is no want to them that fear him. Look at verse 10. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. The young lions are fierce. They're cunning. And they're strong. And yet they do lack. Look at that. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger. And they're strong and they're fierce and they're cunning and they can go out and hunt. But it says what? What is the reverse? But they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. That should cause us to seek the Lord, shouldn't it? In verse uh, 11. By the way, the first this psalm is divided into a couple of divisions. The first part we've just read is, is the song or the praise. And now it's the sermon. You might say the message. Verse 11. From 11 on is the message. Come, you children, hearken unto me, and I will teach you... The fear of the Lord. Notice, this is David, and he says, Come, you children. David the king, David the mighty, was a teacher of children. Come, you children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Those, those that teach children are have a great privilege and opportunity and are blessed. I'm thankful for the teachers that we have. My wife used to teach and taught until, I think, a little after Randy and Vicky came. She got to the place she couldn't. She's writing a thing now, has to write a thing about her service and teaching and various other things for a 50-year uh, 
uh, alumni celebration over at Capitan this summer in July. She graduated in 1944 as valedictorian from Capitan Union High School. And they didn't have it last year, so they're going to combine the 50th and the 51st uh, alumni celebration. All right? So, teaching. Come, you children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Then it says, What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Life spent in happiness is the desire of all of us. We desire that we may see good. We desire that we have life and, and we love many days. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness as far as our nation is concerned. Jesus said, Blessed are happy. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You read the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. And Jesus gave us the pattern of happiness. Happiness is defined and described in how to attain it in Matthew chapter 5. But here's the teacher. Look at verse uh, verse 13. Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. We need to guard with diligence, with careful diligence, that dangerous member of our body, the tongue. Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Randy spoke of it Sunday night in his lesson in the book of Proverbs. It's an unruly member that no man can tame, but only God can tame. In verse 14, Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Well, there's a lot. You know, you can take this one verse. I could preach the rest of the evening on this one verse. Depart from evil. Go away from it. Uh, get away from it. Leave it alone. Depart from evil. And it says, and do good. Do good means to to be practical and active about doing good. Do good. And it says, seek peace. First of all, peace with God. And next, peace with our own heart. And then peace with our fellow man. Peace with God. And you have to have peace within in order to do that. God gives you that inward peace. And then certainly promote peace with our fellow man. I don't like arguments. I don't like fights. I don't like debates. If a man wants to talk to me about the Scripture, just let him take what God's Word says. And if he wants to argue about that, I say, don't argue with me. Argue with the Lord. Because I don't want to try to convince him. If he won't accept what's there, I've never seen very much gain in debates myself. And the Bible tells us a great deal that it does not uh, produce. Seek peace. And then it says, and pursue it. Look at that. Look at all these statements. You have four things. Depart from evil. Do good. Seek peace. And pursue it. That means to to hunt it, to chase it, to go after it, to desire it. Verse uh, 15 says, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. God watches over the righteous, each one with tender consideration. The Lord sees our needs. He observes us. The eyes of the Lord. You know, when you look at something, you you observe what's going on. God looks down, he observes, and he sees, and then he opens his ear to our cry. His ears are turned toward his saints, and he hears. In verse 16, 
The face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. You know, in a good message, there's always a warning, too. It tells us that God's face is against evil. Those that do evil. Destruction will come. There is a day of judgment. The Bible teaches that the, the, the wicked shall earn or deserve and have coming to them the judgment that God uh, brings. God is a merciful God and a loving God. God sent His only Son to die for us, to redeem us, to save us. And yet He says, He that believeth not is what? Condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So it's up to, it's up to the wicked to repent and turn to God. You see, you can't have it your way. We've got these people now going around with giving you choices in worship. Giving you different choices of how to worship God. You don't have any choice. God says the true worshiper must, must, Jesus said. He didn't say maybe, or I'll give you another chance or another way. Must worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. He didn't say two ways about it. We don't set up the standard and say, God, now this is what I want you to accept. We're not pleased with the way you've set it out, and we're going to offer you this as our next uh, choice, and, you know, you can take it or leave it. You don't tell God to take it or leave it. He tells you that. He tells you this is the way it is. We've come in our churches today when there's too much compromise. We say, well, what do the people want? What does God want? Have you ever thought of that? It's not what the people want. It's, and if, if, if it's what God's want, many people will be satisfied with it because we will make our want like God's. I want what God wants. We let Him set the standard and the record and the, I mean, the rules and the regulations, and we conform to His Word. Okay, look at this. Verse 18. We've got just a moment or two to finish. Verse 18. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and save us such as be of a contrite spirit. That contrite spirit means there's a repentance in their hearts. Brokenheartedness. Sometimes broken hearts think that God is very far away. Have you ever thought when your heart was broken about something that God is so far away? But it's, it's, it's the reverse of that. Look at the word. It says the Lord is nigh unto them that have a broken heart. See, it's right the opposite of what we think sometimes. It didn't say God is far away from those that are broken heart. But it said he's near. The Lord is nigh unto them that have a broken heart. And save us such as of a contrite spirit. And that means... Uh, having a repentant a repenting spirit. In verse 19, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. We are warned to expect, to expect tribulations. We're warned to expect troubles and afflictions. But it says also we have the promise the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Look at verse 20. He keepeth all his bones, not one, not one of them is broken. There may be kicks and cuts and bruises, but there are no broken bones. He's going to take care of you. Now, physically, we know that that is not uh, the way it's to be applied. We know many of God's dear children have broken bones, legs, arms, limbs, whatever. But spiritually, he's not going to suffer us to be tempted above that we're able, but he's going to make a way of escape. And so there's not going to be any eternal damage to our, uh, our being. And that's what it really has reference to. In verse uh, 21, 
Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate righteousness shall be desolate. You know, God has laid it out in the first psalm in six verses. And it tells us of the righteous and the wicked. Remember what that first psalm said? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, which bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. That's the first three verses. Then it says, the ungodly are not so. You have the righteous. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. It tells us the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. It says, but the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Right here it says, evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate righteousness shall be desolate. And then the 22nd verse. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. He redeems the souls with uh, with the price of redemption and with the power of redemption, and it is by faith. 